here. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> this would be a fucking disaster if Ripto wasn't all over this shit. Yeah, I've got my hands in every aspect of every one of these fucking videos. <laughs> Welcome back to the Starting Strike Podcast. We are here today with uh, uh, our buddy starting strength coach, Joe Lepo. Joe is uh, in the Navy. We're going to talk to Joe about all kinds of interesting shit today. And uh, let's just uh, see if we get some interesting shit talked about. All right, Joe, what are you doing, man? Hey, Rip. Uh, is that you your know, helmet just, from the Navy behind you there on your, what would uh, be your right hand? Absolutely, absolutely. You wear that at work, right? I wear it every day. Okay. It, it you know, you know, I, there, there's a lot of stuff they don't tell us. You know, there's a whole lot of things that go on in the military that we don't know anything about. And I think this is just evidence of that fact. So, uh, uh, Joe is, uh, has uh, been a starting strength coach for three or four years now. Uh, he came on board with us early. And uh, being in the Navy, I'm sure everybody's aware of the fact that people that are in the Navy are on a ship half the time. And uh, ships are an interesting place for barbells. Uh, first off, Joe, tell us about uh, being in the Navy and then tell us about how you train on a ship. That's an interesting, an interesting deal. You know how many excuses we have? Uh, rolling into the boards all the time about, oh, God, they can't do the standing press because, yeah. after all, their basement is only eight and a half feet tall and they might touch the ceiling with the plates. So what do I do? Yeah. Uh, well, what did you do? Well, you know, I... Uh, Et cetera. I, I took the seminar and qualified as a coach uh, back in... It was January of 2012 uh, at the Atlanta seminar. And I was actually... Uh, in the States on official travel, I was going to a conference in Philadelphia and, and kind of was able to hit the seminar uh, while I was back stateside. I was stationed in Japan at the time. Um, you know, really what I've had to do on sea duty is just kind of adopt the attitude, you know, do what I can when I, when I can. Uh, it's never going to be optimal in that kind of, of situation. So um, at the time, in 2012, I was on the 7th Fleet staff, and that's... Uh, that's in Yokosuka, Japan, on a, an older uh, amphibious ship, the Blue Ridge. Now, you know, what, they had no squad Just rank. out of curiosity, what rank do you hold, and what is your actual job in the Navy? Uh, right now, I'm a commander in 05. Uh, my current job is current operations director for 4th Fleet in uh, Mayport, Florida. Um, but going back, so, you know, that ship, they had a decent weight room, but, you know, a lot of machines, um, a couple benches, one Smith machine, no squat rack. But, you know, me and a couple of the guys that wanted to squat kind of figured out, hey, if I, if I use the plate storage on the back of that Smith machine, I can, you know, make it into a power rack out of it. Or, you know, hey, I don't have the weights I need, I don't have the equipment I, we need, so I'm going to make this temporary substitution, at least so I can get some training in. Um, you know, I did a lot of leg pressing. Uh, you know, when seas were rough, I, I hopped in those machines and, you know, did, did some biceps. But whenever I was in port or whenever the opportunity presented itself, I'd always go back to the, the core big five exercises. And, and that's how I track my progression, not on the accessory work or the, the, the ad hoc stuff I had to do. Right. So you just uh, made do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make an excuse and not train or you can find something. And, you know, there's times where all I could do is 
some push-ups and maybe jump rope or, hey, I'm going to get really good at, at running sprints on that treadmill this week. But you, you've got to do something. Do what you can do. I mean, the circumstances yeah. dictate yeah. your ability to perform this schedule of training exercises. You just make do with what you can do. The exactly. problem, of course, is making do when you don't have to. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I guys that had rather leg press than squat, uh, we don't have a lot of patience for that, but uh, by the same token, if it's a choice between leg presses and, uh, you know, eating donuts, you, you leg press, right? That's how I approached it. And, you know, I mean, I think my list would absolutely be further along, you know, if I was on shore duty or, or I do a regular schedule, but I can't. That's not my life. You know, I'm, I'm career Navy, and I, I do what I can when I can. And move forward and even you know not doing it optimally I've seen pretty substantial increases in both mass and strength and my my day-to-day -day functionality over the years well that's uh, typical of the reports I mean you you yeah. just uh, the process is the process there's an optimal way to do the process and then there is a suboptimal way to do the process and sometimes Circumstances dictate that the process is approached suboptimally, but we don't fool ourselves into thinking that the suboptimal is the optimal just because that's the way you'd rather do it. And uh, I think Joe's proven this to us. Joe, you've uh, uh, had some interesting, uh, tell us about the sub service, okay? Now, uh, this is, submarines are interesting to lots of guys. Lots of guys like me and Nick and lots of other guys watching this thing are interested in the submarine service because it's as close to being on a starship as you'll ever get probably in this lifetime. So we're all interested in this. Tell us about it. Okay, well... Uh, I mean, all I, this training shit's real interesting and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd rather hear about the submarines. Okay, well, uh, I was... Uh, when I, 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 uh, I was enlisted in the Navy before I was commissioned. So uh, I was a machinist mate. Um, I was on the USS San Francisco, a fast attack boat from... I got there late 96, but I, I left real early 98. So, you know, about 18 months on board, uh, deployment. Um, you know, it's, a, it's interesting... I don't want to, to ruin the illusion for you, but a lot of it is you build a routine and it's, you know, you follow the routine. Well, that's um, the way it is on the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had. You know, uh, I mean, we see the shows and stuff, but the the part of the, of, the, of the duty that happens between the shows is what you're talking about right here. Yeah. We're not always fighting the Klingons. Correct. Right. Um, you know, they're not always, you're not always moving torpedoes around. You know, 99.9% of the time, the reactor is unchanged, and we just cruise which along. Which is good. And, which is very good. Which is um, good. Uh, it, it's, people always fast, the, the question I always get about the submarines is people always ask me, you know, how, what's the longest deal I was ever underwater? What's the I mean, longest Some of this stuff you may not be able to tell us about. Is, it, can, is any of this classified? I don't I want won't. to get you in trouble. Oh, no, I, mean, I won't say anything that's classified. Don't oh, worry. Oh, good, good, good. I, I, want, I want to retire you, as a You, commander. you have apparently a, a, a better 
perception of what you should and should not say than our former Secretary of State. So I'll, I'll just trust you to stay out of Leavenworth by telling us uh, only that which you can, uh, which you have the uh, uh, the freedom to transmit. So you're underwater how long? Uh, the longest I went without breathing fresh air or seeing the sun was about three months. That's a hell of a long time. You know, but here's the thing. It's just the routine. One thing that is interesting that a lot of people don't know that I've been on submarines is uh, – Submarines run on an 18-hour day, uh, regardless. So it's you're generally you're on watch for six hours and then 12 hours off. Now that that 12 hours off is when you eat, when you sleep, training, drills, etc. But you're it's it's an 18-hour day. So after so a the diurnal weeks, cycle has to reset to 18 from 24. Well, after a couple of days, you literally have to look at your watch to know what day it is. I mean, sure everything was timed on when do I have watch next. Or, or when is when do I eat next? You know, to be honest with right. you, uh, that's the highlight of submarine service is the meals. <laughs> <laughs> well, do they feed you pretty good? Or, I mean, the uh, replicators, but, you know. <laughs> well, those replicators, I think, are stuck on high carb, high starch, and oh, a lot they? of fried food. Well, but we need, um, we need uh, to speak the, with Jordy about this. Yeah, the uh, the food on uh, you know the food on submarines is definitely better than surface ships. I can tell you that. Uh, no, no question. But it's also a smaller crew. It's you know it's easier to cook for 130 people than it is, you know, 500 or 5,000. Right. 5,000 people on the ship. Can you imagine such a thing? One squat rack, by the way, on that carrier. I mean, One. the the Royal Navy, at the height of the Napoleonic Wars, uh, uh, a, a sixth-rate, uh, rather a first-rate man of war, had a crew of about. 950 people. Now, think about that. That's, this is a, a sailing ship. A big wooden affair that might have had, oh, 80 guns, the biggest of which were 36 pound, 36 pound guns, with a crew of almost a thousand people in the 18 teens. That's a fascinating thing that we've lost, isn't it? It that is. All that whole set of technology is just gone. Yeah. It's been replaced, but it was the most complicated object on the face of the earth at the time yeah. in which it was in function. And that, that's just fascinating to me. But uh, I don't know, a, a nuclear submarine is pretty damn complicated now, right? 130 people, and you're underwater three months at a time. Uh, and this, of course, hasn't got anything to do with, with uh, strength training, so y'all just, just, just call me out here. All right, I'm, I'm interested in this. What do you do about the air? How do you um, scrub the air? How is that done? There's literally, uh, you take seawater and you split it into oxygen and hydrogen and expel the I mean, hydrolyze hydrogen. Yeah, so you have, oxygen you have uh, out of that. fresh oxygen coming in, and then there's CO2 scrubbers. Uh, they mechanically remove the CO2 from the air. I mean, the air quality on the submarine is, I mean, it's pure. I mean, it's, there's no pollution. It's really clean. Mm -hmm. um, it's, but it is recycled until, you know, you surface and, uh, and, and then you'll, you'll change out the air when you surface. Well, uh, did, this is probably impossible for you to, to, to answer, but does it smell different? Does the air in a submarine smell different than the air here at Wichita Falls Athletic Club? 
It does because uh, some of the chemicals used in the scrubbers and then just the, the machinery smell from oil and, and Machine machinery. Um, uh, it's not a bad smell, but it, you know, after, a couple, after, after a couple hours in the sub, you, you don't notice it anymore. Mm-hmm. But when I would, when I come home from the sub, or when we, I was single at the time, when we go out on Liberty, you know, you made sure you went and and really showered well and scrubbed to get rid of that smell. It's not a bad smell. It's uh, it's just a machine. It's like a machine shop smell. A lubricant, that, that yeah. sort of thing. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, how deep do you run when you're? Is there an average depth that the that the the boat stays? That I cannot talk about. Ah, finally. It's cool. Hillary would tell me. <laughs> well, if she, she did, just put it in an email. <laughs> she just email it. So Joe, just email it to me, okay? You want to do that? Yeah, I got my private <laughs> server right over there. Excellent. Um, yeah, in your bathroom. You know, if you look at you know Jane's or if you just do a Wikipedia search, um, without going to specifics, that'll give you some idea. Well, I would imagine that you've got to be deep enough. There's probably a level at which the boat does not feel surface weather. And that's probably going to be, what, 40 meters, something like that, where the doesn't matter what's going on on top, the boat doesn't feel any, any of the energy from any wave action or something like that. So for an indefinite, for a, for a long stay, it's got to be below that level. So whatever the hell that is, it's probably down in the still water. And it's probably fairly dark down there too, because I think all the lights gone at, or most of the lights gone at 120 feet, something of that effect. So it's probably down in the, in that area. But and I'm sure it varies with the you know proximity to, to land masses and uh, underwater, uh, topography, that sort of thing. Yeah. But it's uh, uh, what a fascinating deal. What a fascinating little self-contained deal, with a hostile environment outside. I mean. They ought to make a show about that, don't they? You know. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know how what, they what was it. a hunt for Red October was a great movie. It is you a know? great movie. That's and, a great know, movie. How realistic is Hunt for Red October? Um, not very. It's all it's all bullshit. <laughs> I, I mean, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he's there a lot of good. There's a lot of good stuff. Look, as a, as a former Submariner, Mariner, I love that movie. All right, mm. it's a fun movie to watch. Um, there's some good stuff in there. Um, well, and I've got a buddy that's a B-52 pilot that worked for SAC during uh, the Cold War, and he said that all of, the, uh, all of his buddies, their favorite movie was uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, and it's, Pickett, it's all yeah. complete bullshit, but they just yeah, loved it yeah. anyway. You know? Yeah, the precious uh, fluids. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, that's a great film. Those of you who have not seen Dr. Strangelove, I'm just telling you, you're morons. You need to... You got to get caught up on that because it's a, it's a great film. Peter Sellers played like what nine different roles in the thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh God, what an amazing deal! All right, so enough of that shit. That's just my. This is my video. Okay. Now, let's get back to something at least topical. Did you coach people on board ship? And if so, uh, how did that get done? You know, um, so when we were talking, when we left off before, you know, I was on a ship that really didn't have you equipment at all. When I moved over to the carrier to the George Washington, um, they did have a decent sized uh, free weight room. Uh, we call it Martha's Gym. Um, and they had one squat rack. 
And really, the only thing on that ship you I couldn't do was was cleans. And mm. you know, we had those those goddamn eight eight point octagonal plates, right, and right, with right. the ship moving and the and the, the equipment wasn't good. I mean, it's lowest bid or cheapest, but you know, we were able to get in there and squat and press and bench and deadlift. Um, and I did uh, I did a lot of coaching of, of the squat and the deadlift. That was usually what people uh, came to me. And, and really, it was more. People saw me squatting, and then uh, my boss on the carrier was one of my trainees, and he's actually a pretty strong guy. He's a he's a diver EOD guy, excuse me, diver ED guy, engineering duty officer guy. So we'd go up there and squat, and they'd see the two old you know the two old commanders squatting, and people would ask. And that's I got a lot of experience coaching squat and deadlift that way. Not well, so many people are interested in the press. Well, you know, I mean, the moment arm from the ground to overhead. Is long on a press and on a on a moving deck that kind of could be a liability. So you're you're below decks when you're coaching. What do you do about how much does the ship roll, and what do you do about that during a set? Well, you know I've only done the one carrier tour. Most of my other tours were smaller ships, so your carrier doesn't really move. You know, way destroyer or cruiser does. But right. when you have you know, a heavy bar on your back, whatever heavy is for you, whether it's, you know, 225 or 405, you know, a, a degree or two of the floor moving makes a huge difference. I'm sure it does. And, uh, I'm sure it does. you know, a lot of times we would just say, you know, screw it, we're going to squat. And if the ship rolls, we had the safety set up properly. Um, on and the day, spotters days, just grab it and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I found it easier just to use the safeties and just have one guy behind me in case you started to fall backwards. Right. But if it was that rough, we usually didn't squat. If it was, you know, if, if it was kind of borderline on whether we're going to squat or not, we just take some weight off the bar, maybe do some extra reps. But mm -hmm. that extra motion, you know, made the exercise much more difficult. So you're hey, still getting a good a, workout. It's an unstable surface. That makes yeah. it functional. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes. Training. That makes it functional. So that makes it, uh, you know, like better that you're lifting like <laughs> yes. lighter weights. Yes. yes. Right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The fact that you're not as strong that day as you're producing as much force today is okay. Yeah. Right. Right. So the carrier doesn't move. Is that just by virtue of the mass of the carrier and the depth of the, of the, of the, uh, uh, the keel between uh, what be the draw yeah, of the mean, ship, the, the draft of the ship, or is it a is it a is it a function of equipment that they have installed to keep it from moving? Or it's it, just it's a, a function. Yeah, it's the size, just, just the mass, the sheer of the, size, mass of, of the damn thing. I mean, the carrier displaces right. over a hundred thousand tons. You know, a cruiser is ten thousand. Right. And I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it moves in there. And you know, when we're in some rough weather. You know, there's there's people that you know are, are not feeling real well, but it doesn't it move a, the way a small ship does. Well, is it a slower movement? Yeah, slower and less amplitude. Right. So, I mean, I've been on destroyers where we were rocking and rolling twenty to twenty-five degrees. Oh, you know, every thirty seconds. Wow. And everybody feels bad, and you got a carrier, and it's a couple degrees every you know, every few minutes. You know, I've got a a, a buddy from Iceland, and uh, in Iceland. Uh, top tier job is in the fishing industry and uh, we went up to visit a friend of his one time who uh, was uh, uh, working on a on a fishing boat and this is a this is like a oh probably a hundred and twenty foot boat 
and they're out six weeks at a time. Uh, interesting that uh, they're uh, they're fishing in the Arctic in the in the North Atlantic, and uh, they cool the fish with ice. So from the time the first fish goes in the hole, they have six weeks to get back in because that's the lifespan of the cargo. <laughs> and I asked him, uh, Tommy's his name, I asked Tommy, I said, what, just out of curiosity, Tommy, what is the biggest sea that you have ever been in? And, uh, you know, I want to know that, and for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, it's a distance from the, the top of the wave to the bottom of the trough associated with the wave. And he thought about it a minute, real matter of fact, he said, oh, 30 meters. Yeah. <laughs> 30 meters in a 120-foot boat. <laughs> I don't, just real matter of fact. That's crazy, okay? That's, that's for crazy people. But anyway, uh, so training on the ship is, a, is kind of a, uh, an interesting adaptation, interesting uh, set of adaptations that you have to make to, to the material that, that uh, we teach. And how successful were you at, at making this adaptation? People get strong when you're oh, training them on ship? Absolutely. Now, most of the people I coach, you know, it would, they, they'd say, hey, Joe, come, or sir, you know, come look at my squad. Hey, can you give me some advice? Um, but I had a handful of people that I train with regularly, like I mentioned, including my boss, and we all made uh, substantial progress. I mean, uh, my all-time PR was set on the ship at a shipboard uh, powerlifting meet. Um, so absolutely. I mean, we would have progressed better, faster, stronger on shore, but we trained the best we could with what we had, and we made progress doing the program to the best of our ability. Which goes to show you, which goes to show all of you, in fact, we have an upcoming article about this, that the program, even if done badly, works better than anybody else's program. We're just adding a little weight. You add weight to the extent that you can add it on as regular a basis as you can, and mathematically everything goes up because it has to, because you're not giving it an option to not go up. And this is, uh, uh, if it works on a ship, maybe it'll work in your basement, you know? So, uh, well, that's interesting. Well, Joe, tell us about uh, tell us about your recent injury. You've got a um, got an adductor tear, kind of a nasty a nasty thing that occurs every once in a while yeah. uh, when we train. Tell us how that happened and what you did about it. Well, you know, we talked about you know the Navy, the military in general. I don't care what branch of service. You know, there's going to be periods where your training's interrupted, deployment, travel. So. Um, I finished my last deployment uh, December of 14, and then the first half of 15 was awful for me training-wise. Just uh, the workload as the ship was in the yards, and then I transferred, you know, moving from Japan back to the States. So I uh, finally got settled in Florida, you know, dipped into my piggy bank and, and sent Rogue a bunch of money and set up my home gym the way I always wanted it, and uh, went back to, to doing the program, strict LP to try and get my numbers back up you know, close to where I was before uh, when I was following some intermediate uh, programming. And, you know, I think I had a bad day. I think I was, uh, uh, I think I just hadn't previously recovered from the previous workouts. 
or I might have been a little greedy and you know maybe I should have cut back my LP sooner than I did. But uh, 345, which for me is relatively heavy right now. I uh, this happened November 1st, the injury. I got the first set done and I felt um, an uncomfortable twang is the best way I can describe it during the first set. Uh, it wasn't you know soreness or fatigue. It was, it was something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I had that stubborn streak, you know, debating, do oh, I continue yeah. on or <laughs> do I just do I just lift the weight? You well, know? and, uh, you know, most guys like us will say, look, just get out of the bar. That's exactly you know, what I said. Get under the I, bar. Exactly. Said, and you know as what? a result of that, I you said, and you know, I, I tell you what. have hurt ourselves, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember sitting there thinking you know, I'll be fine. I'll take an extra two or three minutes of rest, you know, so I'll rest 10 minutes instead of seven or eight. And I mean, I, I didn't have any trouble making the reps. I'll be fine. And I mean, I got into that rack and the first rep, I was about three quarters of the way down. And I mean, I felt the tear. It's difficult to describe the pain. I knew mm-hmm. exactly what I'd done. Um, and right. if, you know, uh, a note to all you boys and girls at home, set up your safeties if you're squatting alone, because if those safeties hadn't been there, I would have been stapled. There was no human well, and the tear would have been a hell of yeah. a lot worse too. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I kind of came down hard, bought the safeties, caught the bar, and I, you know, I was on the floor for a few minutes, and I suspected what I'd done. So I, mean, I took a minute, and caught my breath, took my belt off, and then I thought about it for a few minutes, and you know, drove myself to the emergency room because I wanted good drugs for the pain. Um, <laughs> so that that was. Uh, <laughs> You know, that and, was, and I think you probably learned something about driving yourself to the emergency room after you tear a muscle under the barbell. Well, yeah, this would be the only thing, time you do that, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got this big bag of ice, you know, and it's my groin. So I'm trying to ice the injury without icing the equipment. Yeah. So I've got the, the, uh, the your ice. Your heads are going to get small. Yeah, you, yeah. And then it's a 40-minute drive. Gonna, they're going to draw a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was shrinkage. Yes, there'll be shrinkage. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I got to the emergency room and, uh, and they did, they, they confirmed what it was. The ER doc was kind enough to actually do a sonogram and make sure it wasn't completely severed, but I was in enough pain that I knew it wasn't. And, uh, you know, and then I, I took a couple of days and I, I called you, um, to discuss it. Um, you know, that's the advantage of, uh, of being a starting strength coach is it's well, always good to you- get a. Starting strength coaches have a pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how valuable it is, but the pipeline is there. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes even when you know what you need to do, it's great to bounce an idea off somebody who has more experience than you or sure. or has – I mean, I know you've dealt with abductor tears with other clients before. I mean – Well, and, so, you know, had you called me when it happened, I would have saved you the trip to the ER. I would oh, no, I wanted those drugs, Rip. I would have said, look, you can get drugs. You can get drugs. Hillary can get you drugs. So what you, what I would have told you had you called me right then is I would have said, Joe, just ice it. Get, get, somehow get back in the house and keep ice on that thing, 20 on, 20 off for the next 48 hours. And then let's see how bad the thing is. Bled, let's see how far down the leg it is, and let's just see when – if it's going to be either three or four days before you have to start squatting again on this on this tear, because uh, it is pointless to go to the ER. Had it been severed, 
Now, had it been completely separated, it probably wouldn't have hurt nearly as bad as it did. And uh, at that point, you know, I don't know. I, I, I have never heard of a, a complete adductor rupture being repaired. I think they just say, well, you're going to have it. <laughs> you got a defect. Yeah. You're going to have a defect. But it would, I would have certainly saved you the trip to the hospital, especially at 40 minute ride in the car. That probably wasn't very much fun, was it? it you know, once I was in the car, and I have a, I have a, a pickup truck too, so you got to kind right. of climb up into it. Right. Once I was in the chair, I was fine. It was right. getting in and out of the truck that was yeah, that the, movement. the fun and, part. And I'll tell you, boys and girls, you have no idea until you tear an adductor how many things the adductor does during the day. You, <laughs> isn't that right, Joe? That's a true statement. <laughs> you have no idea what that thing does. It's every time you sneeze or chew or cough or think, the damn thing hurts. Just the slightest little deal makes that thing hurt. And, uh, uh, well, it's just a, that's an anatomy lesson. It really is. So what'd you do, Joe? Well, um, I think I called you, I did it Monday night, and I ended up calling you uh, Wednesday afternoon uh, before I left work. Uh, I kind of know you get it, I kind of know your schedule a little bit, so I knew you'd be around then. And, uh, you know, as soon as I talked to you, I was sorry I called, because you made me squat that night. I would actually, I was actually going to wait another day before I tried. But uh, for those of you uh, listening to this later, I call Rip, and he's like, damn it, Joe, you know what I'm going to tell you. You got to go out there and squat on it. And then the next thing he asked me is, what time are you going to squat? So now I'm committed. Now I've got to leave work and go home. i got to squat, and then i got to call him as soon as I finish the first set. So um, I, there's no way out of it. And uh, I'd used the STAR rehab protocol before, but uh, it's never pleasant. And this uh, was particularly rough those first couple of days. Oh, yes, it is. I remember, uh, I remember tearing both of my gracilises at the same time. That was the day, the heaviest set of squats I've ever done, 600 for a triple, I injured both of my gracilises doing that. And guess who made me squat three days later? I'm guessing Star. Star. Yeah. Star. Was standing there and he, nah, you gotta get back on this. And sure enough, it only took, I was fine at about three weeks as a result of that as a result of getting immediately back under the bar. It was not pleasant, but it does work very well. Yeah, those so. first couple of days, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, I was making all kinds of weird sounds. It oh, I'll been bet. A, You know, my eyes might have been watering a little bit. You but, were uh, um, probably uh, expressing dissatisfaction with the prescription, weren't you? Yes, I was. Well, how are but you I now? Know, but I knew it worked. But how are you now? Oh, um, you know, it's... Uh, not healed up. I squatted 345 for five for three sets for, uh, Friday night. Finally. So nine Finally. weeks. Finally. So well, it cost me nine to, weeks. We're glad to hear that. But well, going back to, to the, the rehab protocol, you know, even after the first five or six days, my day-to-day -day activities, getting out of the truck, walking around at work, um, you know, after six, seven days, all that pain had gone away. Right. And it only hurt when I worked the injury. Um, and then when I finished, you know, so 14 days of the protocol and then I was back to squatting, you know, I just picked up three sets of five where I ended with the, the rehab protocol 
and I was starting to get a little, you know, a little tight, this little twinge there. Narrowed the stance a little bit, um, toes forward a little bit more than usual, mm-hmm. and went down to squatting two days a week. And then, you know, over the course of a few more weeks, all my pain and symptoms went away, and now I'm I'm back, you know, moving up in weight. And for those of you that are going to ask the question on the comment section about this about this video about the stance and the toe angle on this stuff, it's in the book. It's in the book. Look it up in the book. So everything seems to be fine now, and you're progressing right along. Very nice, Joe. Very nice. Yeah, I'll no. be. Uh, I'm going to start with back to the either. I haven't decided if I'm going to do a four day split or a three day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Team, but I've I've already kind of had to move my press and my to to intermediate program okay. to prevent stalling and you know squat and deadlifts right behind. Okay. So I'm I'm happy with where I am. Hopefully six months from now I'll be a lot stronger. Well, good, good. Listen, we're we're happy that you uh, decided to share some stories with us today on the podcast. Uh, we uh, we'll talk to you soon. I, I guess I'll see you at an audit here sometime here pretty quick, but. Uh, at any rate, it's been good talking to you, Joe. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Ray. And thank you for watching us on the podcast today. We'll see you next time.